All right, Zoe, the life of God, part 19. We'll uh, pray and jump into it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the anointing. I thank you for giving me utterance. I thank you that you give each individual here a spirit of wisdom and revelation knowledge of you and your word. That you'd enlighten the eyes of understanding that we could understand the inner workings of this covenant and what belongs to us and how to cooperate with you to get it to manifest and show forth in our lives. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go to the first one for me. 1 John 5 and verse 11. It says, And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life, perpetual zoe. And this life is in His Son. Go to the next one. We saw that there's three Greek words for life in the New Testament. Bios, which is natural life. It's short. It's temporary. There's suke, which is our mind, will, and emotions. That's uh, immortal. It doesn't die. But that's not the, the two we really want to hone in on. The third one, this is the one that makes all the difference, is zoe, the life of God. The same life that God has. It's eternal. It's perpetual. Instantly and constantly made new. Now listen, in that first verse we read that God has given to us eternal life. That's a gift, right? Everybody know that? That the biggest gift that God could give us is the life that He has. I don't want to blow over that because, you know, that's the only thing that separates uh, a God-class being. The thing that He could give that would make people just like Him is His life. Right? Because He could give like great gifts. Think about it. He could give great gifts. He could give us billions of dollars. And if still we die... It's great while we have it, but it's a very meaningless gift, really. It, wouldn't it? We could have great uh, relationships and have a great time here, and we could have great uh, peace of mind, never worry about anything, and those would be great gifts, but if we die, then that's the end of it. It's pretty meaningless. But the thing that He gave us was the thing that makes, makes us just like Him. He gave us the part of Him that makes Him God. The, the part that's eternal. Not just immortal, but that's perpetual. It's constantly, instantly brand new. I don't want to gloss over that because that's pretty big. And see, and I think that we do gloss over it in Christianity. We just go, oh yeah, the gift of eternal life, which we think starts when we all get to the great by and by. <laughs> right? And we do nothing with it. I mean, God gave us a really, I mean, it'd be like, you know, my daddy giving me a Ferrari, and then I just parked it in the garage, put the cover on it, and I won't touch it till I die. I'll drive it when I get to heaven. That would be stupid. Right? But that's what we do with our eternal life. That's what we do with our perpetual zoe. That's what we do with this gift that makes us just like God. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. Do you see why like, you're superior to somebody that doesn't have that life in them? Do you know it's available and God wants every single human being that we were created to have that life on the inside of us? He doesn't want, it says, He doesn't want anybody to perish. He doesn't want anybody to not have Zoe. But there's a huge difference with those that have it and do something with it and those that don't have it and then there's those that have it and they don't know they have it or those that have it and don't do nothing with it. Right? So go to the next one. So this is what we're trying, here's our quest. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 10, that we're always bearing about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life, the zoe of Jesus, might be made manifest in our bodies. I want the same life that Jesus has right now to be made manifest or shown naked in my body. I want to realize it in real life, real time in my body. He gave it to me, it's mine, and I want to go from might not have it to might have it. I want to have it. He said it's mine, it's up to me, and so we're trying to figure out how do I move myself from somebody that has a gift like the Ferrari that's in the garage to going out on the road and enjoying it and being a skilled driver of it and never getting a speeding ticket, <laughs> even though you're driving 250 miles an hour. You're going so fast they can't even catch you. That's what we really want. To, that's really what we want to do, isn't it? Go to the next one. So in Second Peter chapter one. We're going to start here in verse 2. We're, doing these, we're working on these nine things. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, according to His divine or the Godhead's power. That's all the power of the Father, all the power of the Son, all the power of the Holy Ghost. They have given unto us all things that pertain unto life, zoe, and godliness. It's already ours. Everything, everything that we need to enjoy this life that God had, the life of God, to enjoy it right now, He's already given it to us with all of His power. He, he didn't chintz on it. 
And it all comes through the knowledge of Him that called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these, by these great and precious promises, you might be partakers of the divine nature, equal partners with the Godhead, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, besides these great promises, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, patience, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, charity, or agape. For if these nine things be in you, and they abound, they make you that you shall be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you do these nine things, the knowledge that you have is going to pay off for you. It's going to pay you dividends. It's going to bear fruit. You know, fruit you can handle, right? I mean, it's tangible. Go to the next one. But, he that lacks these nine things is blind and cannot see afar off. And, he has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Look, if we let these nine things last, what will happen is, are you getting sick of hearing this? Because in real life, real time, what will happen is you'll forget that you're an equal partner with the Godhead. It only takes you about five after nine, maybe not even that long, right? The first time you hit traffic or there's a wreck on the road Monday morning on the way to work, you'll forget that you're an equal partner with the Godhead. Oh, wait, no, not that finger. Right? Keep the road rage in check. Amen. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and your election sure, for if these, you do these things, you shall never fall. And you'll never fail or stumble, it says in the Greek. I, I want to be in that spot where I don't fail or stumble, don't you? Go to the next one. For thus, through these nine things, shall be richly supplied unto you the entrance into the eternal kingdom of Jesus, or our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So here's the gateway to get inside the magic kingdom. It, right? All your dreams come true in there. Think of Disney. You wouldn't stop at the gate, would you? After they shook you down, they took all your cash, they took all your credit cards, maxed them out, and then they let you in and you didn't do anything else after that? No, you'd at least want to get in there, wouldn't you? Look, so do these nine things. These nine things, and we're starting to find out, they cost us, don't they? They cost us time and effort. If you don't want to put in the time or the effort, you're not going to, you're not going to have the life of Jesus made manifest in your body right now. Go to the next one. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these nine things. Through, though you know them, and you're established in the present truth, yeah, I think it is me to write as long as I'm in this tabernacle or this body to stir you up by putting you in remembrance of these nine things. Now, here's these nine things. We're going to go over them quick. But really, I don't want to just jump past them because I think we're at the point now that uh, well, we'll just go through them and we'll see where we're at. Diligence, it says giving all diligence, we all know, remember that's what unremitting, steadily applied force, right? Not half in, half out, where we're all a constant effort, right? Remember Jesus said that diligence was the same as faithfulness. Faithful in least, faithful in much, remember that? Okay, then to that we go put a faith, which is absolute trust and certainty in another, and I said it should be God. And most of us sitting here, we believe God can do it, don't we? Yeah, we believe God can do it, so we meet that test. I said, but virtue, we've got to add to our faith virtue, which is valor in the Greek and boldness, which means that not do I believe that God's able to do it, but I believe that I'm able to do what God said I could do. And that's where I think a lot of us are misfiring. I think a lot of us misfiring that because we don't believe that we're really able to do what God said we're doing. We don't really believe that we're equal partners of the Godhead. I think in real life, real time, because if we were, we wouldn't have any fear, would we? Does God, I mean, are you afraid to fail? If you're an equal partner with the God, if we really believe that, we wouldn't be afraid to fail. We know that we're well able, remember Joshua and Caleb? We're well able to go in and subdue the land. Then we want to add to our virtue, our valor, knowledge. We don't want to go in there blind. We need to know what we're getting into. Remember Caleb, 45 years after, he said we're well able, and it was time for his inheritance, and he said, all right, let me go get my mountain. And he knew that there was giants there, he knew that there was a city there, and he knew that there was walled and fenced. He knew who his enemy was. He knew what their defenses were and their strategy was, and he knew what the prize was, the city, before he jumped into the fight. He, he found out what he was getting into, knowledge. And remember, we found out in Exodus 36 that the way to get knowledge is for your heart to stir you up to come do work, to, to do it. If your heart doesn't stir you up, you're not going to go after knowledge. And if you're not going after knowledge, I'll just be honest, you ain't bold either. You're laying on the couch eating you know, Twinkies and flipping channels. If your heart doesn't stir you up for knowledge, you're just happy being ignorance is bliss, right? 
You're happy being in that bubble of everything's great. Don't mess with me. I won't mess with you. I'm flying under the radar. I got my stealth stuff going. I'm good. Most of Christianity is right there. That was a good place to say amen. <laughs> Add to your knowledge temperance, self-discipline, right? We're going to master ourselves. We're going to come up with a training plan and we're going to stick to it. Paul said, I put my body under. I don't run aimlessly. I don't run uncertainly. I don't beat the air like a boxer just beating the air. I have, an, I have a training partner. I have a training plan and I stick with it. Now, these first five things lead you up to getting into the fight of grabbing your zoe, grabbing your inheritance. Remember, Timothy was told by Paul to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold of eternal life. Seize it. You've got to grab it. Okay? These first five things lead up to the fight. The last one, six, is patience is what we're into right now. Go to the next one. Patience is the quality that refuses to give up. Guess what? Now you're in the fight. You don't need patience till you're in the fight. If you ain't in the fight, you don't need any patience. You, there's nothing to give up. You're not even there. You're not trying. for. There's no contest. Eric. You can't quit. You didn't start. Could you quit something if you didn't start it? You could, could you quit a fight? Could Mike Tyson quit a fight if he never got in the ring? No, no. And I think that most of us, we're talking about patience, most of us haven't done the first five things to get to where we're even in a fight yet. And I think that we think that we're in a fight just because our lives suck. Can I make it any plainer? Because you think all the stuff that where you're like, you're to think, man, I'm just tired of this. And really what it is, is do you remember over in 1 Corinthians, look over here real quick. 1 Corinthians 10. And we'll, we'll, I'll skip the first 11 verses and we'll just read verse 11. But he's talking about the children of Israel coming out of bondage of Egypt, going through the Red Sea, eating manna, drinking from the rock. And he says, Now all these things happened to them for examples, for they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the world are come. The ends of the age. You know, that's us. Everything that those guys went through was for our instruction. An example. Did you, so, uh, what I know here, do you know that when they were in Egypt, they felt like they were in the fight? And they weren't? They were in slavery. The fight didn't come till they got to the Jordan after they went through the wilderness. You all remember that? So, I think some of us think we're in the fight, and really, we haven't left the bondage of the world yet. I mean, it was horrible for them. 400 years of bondage, but they were fed and they were clothed and they were housed. And as soon as they got into the wilderness, they wanted to go back to it. Because it was safe, quote, quote, there. I knew where my next meal was coming from. And I think most of us have not left the bondage of the world system yet. And you think you're in the fight and we're not. Just life sucks. And you're waiting for somebody to come deliver you and wave the magic wand. And hey, you know, when Moses showed up, and he promised that to them. They thought that they were just going to walk into like bonbons and spa day every day. They did. And then they found out they had some more work to do. That they actually had to learn who God was and who their covenant was all over again. And then when they got in the wilderness, they left that bondage of world system. But you know what? Now they don't know where the next meal's coming from, so they had to actually believe God that He would show up. Before, they could, He could queue them up one to go in to get their inheritance. And then they turned back and said, I wish we were back in bondage again. I don't think most of us, even in here, are at the point where we're in the fight and we're not ready to give up yet. You ain't in the fight yet. If you, if you, all you are is your life just still sucks. If there's not one where you're walking across the Jordan and you see a city that you're about to take and you know what the prize is, Caleb, and he knew what his enemy was, Caleb, and he knew what the defenses were, Caleb, you ain't, get, you ain't queued up into the fight. You're still walking around either in bondage or you're in the wilderness. And I really, I don't know how to make us to make that shift. I can't make your heart stir you up to do work, to go get knowledge. I can't make you put in together a training plan for yourself. I can't make you be diligent or, and justify what things you're diligent in. I can't make you do any of those things. All I can do is try to help us point us in that direction. And I think a lot of us, we're not. We're not there yet. And so we think, well, I'm not going to give up. Well, you ain't give up yet. If you want to give up something, give up bondage. If you want to give up something, give up wilderness living. If you want to give up something, give up the cushy, you know, I think I know where my next meal's coming from. You don't. If you find out what the world system is, just read the paper this morning, you'll find out. Even our government is about to fall apart. 
The dollar is devalued. It's in a spiral. Did you all realize that? That the dollar ain't worth jack diddly. If that goes through the tubes, our little, you know, we think that we're all, we're not. We're, we'll be like Nigeria or Nicaragua or any of these other third world countries if our dollar just, and it's not worth anything anymore. So the stuff, and that's why God said, if you can trust in uncertain riches, guess what? It ain't going to happen. So let's put our trust in the covenant, and you know what will happen is you'll be in the spot where you'll make tons of cash. And you'll, make, you'll be in the spot where you're in the driver's seat where everything else is going down the tubes. You know, a lot of people got rich during the Depression. Do you know that? Yeah. A lot of people made massive amounts of money in the Depression. More people didn't, but a lot of them did. Don't you think that God wants you on? He knows which side you need to be on, where you need to be in order to be the one making a lot of money mm-hmm. and be in the driver's seat position? That's what these first five things are all setting you up to where you get you got yourself ready to get into the fight. God is not going to take you. Remember, we saw this in Exodus. Turn over there again because I want to show it to you. God's not going to take you into a fight that you're not ready for. He's not going to set you up for failure. If you don't have one queued up for you, you might want to take inventory and think, well, what am I doing here? Exodus chapter 13. And verse 17, this is when the children of Israel are leaving out. They finally got through the ten plagues and Pharaoh's had enough. And in verse 17, it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, though it was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent or turn back, remember, to the rear march when they see war, and then they will return to Egypt. But God led the people through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed up out of the land of Egypt. God won't take you the short way. If it's taken a long time, it's because God knows that you'll turn around and run back the other way. You'll go, ah, and run. Focus in on doing these first five things of diligence. Make sure you're prioritized right. Right? That I am believing that what God says is true. And if He believes what's true, then my valor will kick in. Then I can do. I'm well able to do what He said I'm able to do. And then I add knowledge because my heart stirs me up to do the work. Not going to come by sitting on the couch watching TV. Amen, Andrew. I know that's right. Is it my, it, look, it's not easy to concentrate on whatever, whatever the thing is that your heart stirs you up to do because you've got to get information. You've got to educate yourself. But I think a lot of us, we don't even know what our heart stirs us up to do. D- do we? Anybody ever thought about what, what does your heart stir you up to do? Think about that. What is it that you are passionate about? What is the thing that your heart stirs you up to do? So this is the only this is the only stuff that'll help you move from. See, we can come here and I can just teach the word all day long. We've done that for two and a half years. It ain't helped most of us. It helped us. Well, what I had what has helped us was that now I, I don't freak out when bad stuff happens, and I recognize what bad stuff is, but it hasn't changed any of where. Uh, my bank account. Really. If it had, we wouldn't be in this basement right now. If somebody's bank account was changed, we wouldn't still be sitting in the basement. So, let's get practical. To do these things, we have to, it's not just talk about them on Sunday and yeah, that's great. And I'll tell you what, these nine things are not even based on staying in the covenant. It's, you know, you studying the Word. It's not about you studying the Word. It's about you studying the thing that God's built you to do in life that'll make you money. Do you see? It's not about the Word. For me, my job is doing it, so I stay in the Word. That's, that's my deal. Everybody can't be a minister. But see, that's what's been taught in the church is that you can get rich by being a minister because that's the only people we see who have riches. <laughs> and they never taught us how, to, how do we walk through this process for ourselves so that I can move from middle-class America with not enough to even help my own kids, let alone somebody else, to where I can help everybody, which is what the covenant clearly is. Right? So sit down this week and write down, what is it that start, what, what thing are you passionate about? What is the thing that flips your happy switch? And I hope it ain't PS2. But if it is, then you better educate yourself and learn how to design some games so you can build games and design games and make some money. But in order to do that, you've got to get knowledge of how those things work and how to design those things. You all following what I'm saying? 
This ain't religious and oh yeah, this is real time, real life. How are we going to move from uh, bondage to I'm in the driver's seat. What is it that flips your happy switch? Then once you decide what that is, you need to get as much information about that as you possibly can. You could start with Google. It ain't that hard. As you start to do that, God will bring people across your path and get you the information you have to have. How do you know, Andrew? Because His Word promises that's what will happen. He said if your heart stirs you up to do the work, He will give you the skill, He'll give you the knowledge, and He'll give you the understanding supernaturally of how to do it, and you'll become the best that there is at it. You know, this is what the gifts of the Spirit are in 1 Corinthians. Word of wisdom, that's skill. The logos of skill. That means you would have the same skill that who's the Word? Who's the logos? In the beginning was the Word. You'd have the same skills that Jesus has. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It's the gift of the Spirit. That in real life, real time, let's look at that. We're way off today, aren't we? Look over here in 1 Corinthians 12, because I want you to see who are these gifts of the Spirit for? First Corinthians 12 and verse 1. It says, Now concerning spirituals, or spiritual gifts, it says in your English Bible. Brethren, I would not have you be what? Ignorant. I don't want you to not know what these are. You know that the Gentiles were carried away to dumb idols even as you were led. Wherefore I give unto you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no man can say that Jesus is my Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations or assignments, but the same Lord. And there are diversities or different operations, but the same God which works all in all. But the manifestation, that's the showing forth, right, of the Holy Spirit is given to who? For what? To profit. These gifts are not to have some crazy roll around on the floor and handle snakes meetings, right? Holy Ghost meetings. They're, They're given to you for what? Profit. For you to profit. Make money. In real life, real time, he says that these were given the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. The logos of wisdom, I would have the same skill that Jesus has. When the Holy Ghost comes upon me and my heart stirs me up to do the work, I know that He's going to show up and give me the same skill that Jesus has in doing whatever. If it's a brain surgeon, then you're going to have the skill that Jesus would have in fixing somebody's brain. If it's rocket science, you would have the same skill that Jesus had in building a rocket. If it's designing a PS2 game, you would have the same skill that Jesus had designing that game. I mean, that would be a good game. And probably a bestseller. And then the next one is the logos or the word of knowledge. That's, you would have, that's the word science again. It's the same word science that's in these nine things. That you would have the same knowledge that Jesus has. And who built the whole entire shebang? Je- Jesus. Remember, by the Word, the worlds were framed. By Jesus, the Logos, the worlds were put together, built, constructed. Does He know how to build some stuff? Yup. And when your heart stirs you up to do a thing in that certain area, to do that work, He'll show up and that's what the gifts of the Spirit are, and you'll use them in real life, real time, to make profit. See, people think I'm teaching heresy right now. I'm teaching you what the Bible, what this whole thing is for. Because who are we helping? We ain't even helping ourselves, let's be for real. Are you all feeling the Christmas crunch? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, you're juggling all the stuff and the bills and you're trying to, you know, and I've creative finances so I can get the kids what they want, but boy, we've got to back it down, and boy, that makes my heart sad. And you all ever deal with that? That ain't the covenant. It's not the covenant. So if you're tired of doing that, let's find out what we're passionate about. Let's find out what we're built to do and gain knowledge so that I can get into the fight so I can get God to cue me up on If there's not one queued up for you, it's probably because your heart ain't... You haven't done this. What do I want to do? And then start on the quest of gathering all the information to go do that. And then God will show up supernaturally and give you the rest of it. But if you're not willing to do that part, He's not giving you the... You can't. He's not. It's against His Word. 
So think about what is it that my heart stirs me up to do? I mean, you've got to take a couple minutes to really think about that because it would be hard for you to articulate it, let alone write it down because you write the first thing down and go, well, that's stupid. I couldn't do nothing with that. Yeah, that's the seed of it. God can do something with that. But if you won't take the time to find out what you're passionate about and what you're built to do and what your heart stirs you up to do, you'll never move off of where you're at. You'll never get out of the bondage of doing the world system. Think about what is the thing that you could be the absolute best at on the planet? Don't, don't think what you're good at. Because I'm good at a lot of things. I mean, I'm good at running, but I could never be the best. I'm not going to win a gold medal in the Olympics, no matter what event I run. I know that. So, so that's not my focus in life. I'm not training 8, 10, 12 hours a day because I can't be the best. So I need to prioritize and find out what it is that I really could be good at. Not good, oh wait, best. Do you see the subtle switch? I could be good at making coffee, but working at Starbucks ain't going to get me riches, honor, and life. Now, if coffee's my passion, what I could do is start a whole new competition to Starbucks and then get riches, honor, and life. Do you see the difference? It's our mentality. Do you want to go jump into another set of bondage? That you're, you know, go from one this bondage to that bondage, this taskmaster to that taskmaster? The taskmaster I want to follow is God, and guess what? He's my daddy. He ain't a taskmaster taskmaster. Did you all follow this? This is kind of like, oh, Andrew, what are you talking about? Can you give us some more word? Think about Now think about this. What do, you, what do your heart stir you up to do? What you could be the, the best at? And then think, how could I make these two things match up to making money? How could this fit in? Do you understand? All you have to do, do you ever watch that, Don, Don, what is it, Donnie Deutsch? On CNBC, he, has, he went from the big idea to all he does now is bring in people that have ideas, just like mom and pops, that have turned nothing into million dollars of stuff. Like making widgets or whatever. I mean, silly stuff. Like how to, you know, roll the toothpaste tube up and junk like that. Watch something like that to get some ideas. And listen to somebody else. It's not even in the covenant. go from something out of their basement and to turn it into a million dollar enterprise. Doug, you got that? Where's that book? Doug gave me this book to read a couple weeks ago. It's called Good to Great from Jim Collins. I'm not a big, you know, do a book guy. But look, this book right here, everybody in this church should be reading it. What this book is, he took 11 companies out of 1,400. He started with 1,400 companies. He whittled it down to 11 companies that were great. It's called Good to Great by Jim Collins. He scientifically just took all their profit. All he did is take their returns, what they did, profit and loss. Over like 50 to 75 years, out of 1,400 companies, 11 of them were really great companies that made that way outdid what the market did. You know what those 11 companies did? He said, what did they do? They did the first six things on this list. Everything they did was the first six things on that list. They sat down and figured out what could we be the best at. What, what, what flips our happy switch? Then once they figured it out, they got on it and they didn't let off it. Diligence. And then they refused to give up. Patience. And they were bold because they jumped out and did something that no one thought that they could do. A lot of companies changed their entire core business. I, he wrote that book in, I think, 2001. Peter wrote his book in 64 A.D. Thirty years after Jesus died, and you know what I know from First Peter? That he'd been preaching it a long time because he said, once I'm done telling you these nine things, we're going to work on the next... Oh no, wait, these nine things, and then we're going to get a new series on these nine things. And I think it's meet that as long as I'm in this body, I'm going to tell you to do these nine things. And I think it's funny that pagan companies... I think there was one guy in there who was in covenant, not all of them, just one guy. But all these other companies, they didn't even know that they're doing the nine things. They didn't know what they were doing, but the one thing that he checked... All these companies... The thing that tied them all together, they were doing the first six of the nine things. They didn't even know they were doing it. And they were doing it, and every one of them got fantastic results. Imagine that. Science backing up the Word of God. Twenty-five or 1,500 years later. 1,700 years later. 
Peter, God got this stuff to Peter and started telling his church, his people, 30 years into it, do these nine things. I'm going to move you from bondage and I'm going to move you into inheritance. And here we are, how many years later? Almost 2,000 and we're still diddling around because we're not even teaching these nine things, let alone doing them. In real life, real time. And I look, I ain't telling you, oh, you've got to get in your Word for an hour a day. You know you need to do whatever you need to do to get rhema from God. I'm telling you, you need to get outside that box and find out what God built you for so that you can make some cash and walk into riches on in life. It ain't going to fall on you, obviously. Well, it would have already. Do y'all Take some time. Find out. Ask yourself the hard questions. What did God build me and wire me to do? And I know, look, I could go through in here, the ones of you that I know, I know what you're passionate about. You might not even know it. And if you have a question about it, come ask me. I've known you for a long time. I know what you're passionate about. I can help you. Do you know God put that in there for a reason? Because you could be the best at it. That's why He put it in there. And for us not to walk that out, you're you're going to be frustrated your whole life if you don't do what God builds you to be good at. If I'm, you know what, because you know what, I really don't like this job sometimes. I'd rather be in the business world making money. You know what I really like doing? I liked it when I was with Capitol Police. I liked calling all the shots. I liked telling Nancy no. (laughs) And getting away with it. And I'll tell you, I was the best in the world at it. And she'll tell you that. Her staff will tell you that. Her family will tell you But you know what? I'm not built for that. I'm built for this. How do you know, Andrew? Because I'm into this. I mean, it's re- I'm drawn to like studying the history of this and to, with the history of the world and studying the ancient languages. I'm drawn to that. That's, you know what? There's no real payoff for me to learn Greek other than you get to benefit from the knowledge. I mean, I get a little benefit from it, but there's really I couldn't make money on it. So you need to find out what you're passionate about. What are you drawn to? What is remember this? What's your favorite? Do y'all remember that from the Good and Evil series? See, no one can make you pick your favorite. You love Brussels sprouts. No, I don't. My mom be like, they're your favorite. No, uh. Your mom ever try to tell you what your favorite is? No, you pick your favorite. It's you. It's your choice. Pick your favorite. It's your favorite Brussels sprouts. Coming in early is your favorite, isn't it, Colin? Oh yeah. What's your favorite? You love being home at nine. Y'all following this though? So you decide. It's your choice. This is the beauty of the covenant. There is no rigidity. There's no religion to it. There's immense freedom on the inside of the boundaries of the covenant. You get with God and you find out, all right, God, how did you build me? What is my favorite? And when you pick your favorite, run. Go with it. It's your favorite. And nobody can tell you what your favorite is or is not your favorite. Is this helping you guys? I want you to really stop and think this week. Because I think you're just, a lot of us are just spinning our wheels in the mud, to be honest with you. We're hearing this, and me teaching more on this is not going to help us any. If we're not even at the point where we're in the fight, why are we even talking about giving up? If we're not there yet, if we're not, we're just jumping past where we should be. We need to get to where we're doing all this other stuff taken care of, build the foundation of it, so when the fight comes, we're not going to turn and run. See, if you do these things, when you get to the fight, you won't. patience is not going to be a problem for you. Giving up is not going to be a problem because you've got too much invested into turning back now. And at this point, you can see what your prize is, you know what the enemy is, you know what his tactics are, and get out of the way because I want my prize. And then you're looking for the fight. Practically, though, Think about, get quiet with just yourself or with your spouse. Your kids might help you. They could probably tell you what you're passionate about. My kids could, and they could definitely tell me, you know, what I'm passionate about on the negative side, right? (laughs) They could tell me about, like, not climbing on the furniture. Yeah, Daddy's passionate about that. Not throwing stuff, you know, balls in the house. Yeah, Daddy's passionate about that, right? Then find out. If you're having problems thinking about what you are, then ask some people around you that know you to help you. And then write it down and start articulating and talking it out. 
And you know what? That's when God will show up and give you the next thing and the next thing, and it'll build and it'll mushroom, and next thing you know, you're in the fight. And now, let's not cut and run. And now, let's keep going. Now, let's keep pushing and pushing and going. And now we'll start antagonizing lack. We'll start antagonizing sickness. We'll start antagonizing bad relationships. And we'll start ministering life everywhere we go just because we showed up. Isn't that what Jesus did? He just showed up and ministered life. People were drawn to Him. You know, He never had to advertise to do a crusade. You know that, right? He didn't have to pay the government $100,000 to do an advertising campaign or whatever and so get the handbills out and drive all the people here and we'll get the buses going, a TV commercial. Do you know he never did that? He just walked somewhere and everybody showed up because there's life. I guarantee you, you'll have people crawling for your back pocket if you're walking around paying people's bills. They're going to be hunting you down. You won't have to be looking for people to minister to. They'll be there begging in a heartbeat. What a great position to be in because now you're the head and not the tail. I'm not the beggar. I'm the giver. It's more blessed to give. You know why it's more blessed to give? Because you're the one that has something. Giddy up. Come back with me over here to the uh, John chapter 1. Verse 12 says, But as many as received Him, to them gave He the power or the authority to become the sons of God even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Now I want you to see in this verse right here that this is really... There's four ways for us to get to our inheritance. There's really four avenues. You can do it as a son of God, which is what we've been working on, or you can do it one of the ways the world does it. If you do it one of these three ways, and I'm telling you this because it's a minefield. And you need to be aware that if you slip over into one of these three ways, you're not going to have riches with no sorrow added to it. You could get riches, but there's going to be a lot of problems with it. He said those were born of God, not of blood. Now, the, the easiest one I can think of is Paris Hilton. She was born of blood. She got her riches with blood. Is there any sorrow added with that? That kid has nothing but sorrow. I mean, she doesn't. I mean, everybody likes to take shots out of that makes it even worse. So I don't think anybody in here has got to worry about that one, right? Check. We would already had it if we did. We don't need to spend any time on that. But this next one is the will of the flesh. See, when I tell you about temperance and self-discipline, you've got to be careful not to get over into I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. This is the will of the flesh. It's a fine line, and I know a lot of Christians, you'll want to get over into it because you'll get from where I'm self-disciplined and I dominate my flesh, and you'll make your flesh be the workhorse. And you'll work a bazillion hours at whatever the thing is that God gave you to do, and you'll put all your blood, sweat, and tears into it, and it only produce more tears. God ain't going to saddle you with something that you've got to work your flesh and work your flesh and get old early, right? And get health problems. You know anybody that have businesses that it's just a, I mean, they're just wearing themselves out. That, that ain't inheritance. That's not where we're going. If you find yourself doing that, stop. Then the next one is not by the will of man. This is working the angles. And again, here we go, because it's very subtle. The difference between God bringing people across your path and giving you divine connections and you trying to work an angle and network. Why are you telling me this, Andrew? Because what will happen is as your heart stirs you up to do the work, you're going to start tracking down information, right? And then God will bring you people across your path to get you what you know. If you won't wait for Him to bring you somebody and you jump out there and try to fund somebody, guess what? They could probably lie to you. 
If it ain't somebody that God brought across your path and you know that it was a divine connection, you might not want to jump in bed with that person. Y'all following this? I know people that they, they grabbed a hold of a guy that they met online. They get, looked up his number. They tracked it down. They never checked the guy out. They just believed that it was all good and they didn't have a check in their spirit. And the guy took them for five grand right off the bat. You know what I'm talking about. Don't do that. Don't make your own connections. Let God make them. You concentrate on doing the five things. When you concentrate on doing the five things for you, He'll make the big picture happen for you. Don't get stuck into making the big picture happen. You, you find that? Who cares about the big picture? You concentrate on, I'm just doing these five things. I'm going to make sure my diligence is good, my face good, my, I'm bold, yep, I'm working, my heart stirred me up, I know what I'm doing. I gave you some practical things for you to find out what your heart should stir you up to do. That should help some of you. Then start tracking down this knowledge. Self-discipline. Decide I'm going to spend an hour a day Googling or going to the library or researching this stuff, educating myself for a half an hour a day, whatever it is. If it's your passion, it shouldn't be hard to do an hour. And then as you're doing it, God will bring somebody into your path. Don't you worry about the big picture. Because now you're going to start trying to work angles. Now we're into the, either the will of the flesh or the will of man. You all found this? This is practical. It will help you. You concentrate on your little five-thing circle right here. That's it. Just This is it. Right here, this is my five things. God will move all the other pieces around to get to you. You keep your own heart stirred up. You keep your diligence in check. Make sure that your priorities are right and that you're being faithful in the things that you should be. Continue to have that relationship with God so He's talking to you and you're getting rhema from Him. Make sure that you're not afraid. Listen, go to a couple... Go, Mandy, go a couple more here. Keep going. Shoot through a couple more. We're getting to where I'm at today. I told you last week, stop right there, to remember past victories. Today, the other side of that same coin, and I know this is patience, but this will help somebody right here, is that you need to forget about whatever your past mistakes were. You hear me? Whatever your past mistakes were, whatever your past failures were, and whatever your past on purposes were. You know which ones I'm talking about, right? We don't need to shout them out. Go to the next one. Back up one. In Hebrews 10, in verse 16, this is God talking to us. He said, This is the covenant that I'll make with them after those days, saith the Lord, that I'll put my laws into their hearts and into their minds I'll write them, and their sins and iniquities I will remember. How long? No more. He don't remember your past mistakes. He don't remember your past failures. He don't remember your past on purposes. Whenever you fell short, He doesn't remember it. I know we've talked about this a bunch of times, but what will happen is, this is part of your deal, is that hell will tell you you know when you messed up and you saw what happened last time you tried to believe God. Go to the next one. It's Hebrews 8 and verse 12 in the Amplified. It says this, For I'll be merciful and gracious towards their sins and I'll remember their deeds of unrighteousness. How long? No more. Now remember that righteousness is equity. Riches, honor, and life. That's God's equity, right? Unrighteousness would be the opposite of that, right? So any deeds that you did in life that did not match up with riches, honor, and life, he says, I don't remember them anymore. They're gone. Because guess what? And this is great for me because there's areas in my life that don't match up every day with riches, honor, and life. It's called my checkbook. God says, I don't remember that. You've got to shake that off. It doesn't matter where you're at right now. It doesn't matter where you were five minutes ago, ten years ago. What happened in the past, if it didn't match up with riches, honor, and life, you've got to forget about it. Do not let that paralyze you. Because God says, I don't remember it. I don't remember it. God, remember that time where I couldn't pay the no? How about the time when I couldn't give the no? You all following this? Because some of you, it's paralyzing you. Go to the next one. Do you all remember the story of Joseph? All right, Joseph had a dream. He had two dreams. And he dreamed that his brothers, and his, his brothers and his mom and daddy would bow down and worship him and he would be in charge. And then the big dummy told the dream. And then he told it a second time. And so his brothers said, we'll get rid of this cat, and they threw him in a pit. And said they were going to kill him, but the one brother, Reuben, he said, no, let's not kill him. So they sold him into slavery for a couple bucks. He goes down into Egypt and he lands 
in Potiphar's house, who was a captain or a general in Pharaoh's army. That's a pretty good deal. He starts out scrubbing toilets, works his way up. Within a matter of a couple of years, he's, uh, boom, top of his game. He's running Potiphar's house. He, he said Potiphar didn't even know what was in his checkbook. Joseph was running it. Then, Potiphar's wife likes Joseph too, so she says, Come sleep with me, big boy. And he said, no, nah, I can't do it. She said, come on. And so then she yelled rape, and then they threw him in jail. Because, I mean, Potiphar's loyalty lasted to Joseph until 5 o'clock that day when he came home for dinner, and Potiphar's wife said, he tried to rape me. Boom, done. Now Joseph's in jail. He's in jail for three years. Remember, and there was a butler and a baker from Pharaoh was in there, and they had a dream, and so Joseph tells them the two dreams, and the butler, you're good, you're good. the baker, you're dead in three days. And that's what happened. And then he tells the butler, he uses the will of man, he says, don't forget me. He tries to work an angle with the butler. He's stuck in there for another three years. Right? If he had just shut his, zipped his lip, he probably would have been out of there sooner. I mean, no, being in slavery, being in a pit, being in jail is not a good time. But everywhere he went, so he prospers. He's at the top of his game everywhere he went. Okay? So now, Joseph gets elevated to prime minister of Egypt. Y'all remember that? Pharaoh had the dream, seven years of famine, seven, year, or, uh, seven years of big harvest, seven years of famine. Pharaoh says, well, who can I get to run this whole show? Because Joseph gives him a plan. He says, well, Joseph, you're the man. So now Joseph is number two in all of Egypt. Who does number two work for? He had his own chariot, had Air Force Two, right? He had Pharaoh's ring. He's all good to go. Then he has his babies. He gets married, and now he starts having kids. And now look what he names his kid. First one pops out the hatch, and in Genesis 41, 51, Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. In the Hebrew, it means, he helps me forget. Because he said, for God, he said, have made me to forget all my toil, and that Hebrew word is misery, pain, sorrow, suffering, and troubles, and all my father's house. That was the people that threw him in the pit. thing you need to understand is that Joseph did not let any of those things that happened to him keep him from moving forward to what his destiny, what his dreams were. His dreams were to be the great kahuna. He could have stopped it anywhere along the line. I'm thrown into the pit. I'm thrown into slavery. I'm in prison. He said God helped him forget. So what I know is that God will help you forget all the toil and all the misery and all the sorrow and all the wrong that's in your life. And you need to let Him help you forget because those things will keep you from queuing it up. It'll keep you from getting into the fight. It'll paralyze you. And there's some of you paralyzed because of past failures. Or times you thought you believed God and you weren't really. You don't know what you... you man, look, when the last time you jumped out there, you don't know what you know now. Do you? You know a lot more now than the last time you jumped out there. God will help you forget the things that are paralyzing. If you're paralyzed with fear... Deer in the headlights. What happens to deers caught in the headlights? Da-doom. Speed bump. Isn't that right? Don't you do it because you'll be a da-doom. Speed bump. Go to the next one. In Philippians 3, Paul starts talking to the church in Philippi about this very thing. He said in verse 13, he said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I, I, I'm not there yet, he said. Now, if Paul ain't there yet, okay, you fill in the blank. He said, but this one thing I do, he's going to tell us his trick. Don't you want to know the magic? He said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto the things that are before me. This is going to help you doing your, your five things. You've got to forget the things behind. I don't, it, God don't remember it. Whoever you think remembers it, it don't matter because if God don't remember it, I don't care who you think remembers what you did in the past. It don't really matter. But if you remember it, it'll paralyze you. So you forget it. Bygones. What was that from Ali McBeal? Do you all remember that show? Every time the guy did something, he'd be bygones. Like before he even say sorry, he'd get somebody mad. He'd be like, bygones. Bygones. It's bygones. Whatever happened, bygones. Forget it. Reach forth to the things that are before you. You know what's before you? Riches, honor, and life. They're set up right before you. Let's go for that and forget anything that would keep me from going for that. Now, I like this, this God's Word version is the next version of this. He said, brothers and sisters, God's Word version. I can't consider myself a winner yet. So look, what that tells me is if you don't consider yourself a winner yet, this next line's for you. If you're already a winner, don't worry about it. But write me a big check. 
Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, you're preaching so good. I can't consider myself a winner yet, but this is what I do. I don't look back. I lengthen my stride. When I remember we're running a race with patience, great cloud of witnesses, let us get rid of the sin and the weight that does easily beset us. That's what he's talking about. You dump whatever weight is keeping you down. And then, not only are we not slow down, oh, he says, I pick it up and I lengthen my stride. I pick up the pace. I, you see that? That means we go harder. We run faster. We run harder in our race. We lengthen our stride. We don't back off. Because, you know, backing off, there ain't nothing back there. You've been back there. There ain't nothing back there. Is there anything back there for you? Nothing. All right, let's close out with this. Go to the next one. Revelation 12 and verse 9. It said, and the great dragon, now this is at the end, right? During the, at the, uh, during the tribulation. He said, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, in case you didn't know who he was, which deceives the whole world. And he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Go to the next one. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength for the kingdom of God, the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night. Now, this happens in the future, but what it does is tell me what's going on right now. What's going on right now? Satan's where? In heaven, at the throne, accusing you and me. Now, look, anybody that ain't in the covenant, he ain't accusing them. You know what? He's like the, the uh, quintessential tattletale. Do you know what Regina did? Hey, God. Do you know what Mandy did? Hey, God. Right? That's what this one is. Y'all know the tattletale? That's what he's doing. He's doing it how long? When? when? Day and what? Yeah, it's like a day on, stay on, 24-hour shift with this guy. Right? He's up there accusing you and me of messing up. Even when we ain't messing up. Remember when he, was, when he went before God with Job? Yeah, I know he's doing good, but you know, you're blessing him illegally because Job didn't have a covenant. Do you know God was blessing Job illegally? Because Job didn't have a covenant. So after that whole thing happened with Job and God you know, went through that whole idiot drill and God restored him twice as much at the end of the nine months, God said, I ain't letting this happen again. He found him Abraham 500 years later. And he set up the covenant. And you and me, we're in part of that covenant so that guess what? Hell can't touch us. All he can do is blah, blah, blah. He can accuse us. But you know he can't touch you unless you let him. Unless you forfeit your right to your covenant right of protection, forfeit your covenant right of riches, honor, and life, hell can't do nothing but accuse you. So let him accuse. He can accuse all he wants because God doesn't remember any of your past failures. He doesn't remember any of your past mistakes or any of your own purposes. So all you... This is what it sounds like in heaven. That's what hell's... That's what it sounds like out of Satan's mouth to God. What? 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 So, look, even with Satan in God's face talking trash about you, it says God still doesn't remember anymore. So, you need to cut the dead weight. Now, go to the next one. Verse 11 says this, And they, the brethren, overcame him, Satan, and they did three things to overcome. You might want to write these down. They'll help you. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, do you know that the blood of the Lamb, that that's the whole deal that sealed the covenant? That's what makes the covenant legally binding. You all know that, right? So if you don't know that your covenant is legally binding, Satan will take you for a ride. You won't overcome. So you've got to settle in your own heart and in your own mind that the covenant is legally binding. And when God said, I don't remember it anymore, that's exactly what He means. And He's held to it. You all found that? That's good news. Because God, He says, I'm bound by my word. And His word to you, we just read it, is He don't remember any of your past failures, past mistakes, or your past on purposes. Then the second thing that they did to overcome Him was by the word of their testimony. You want to remember what a witness does. They testify. They tell the truth as they know it. This is you. Remember we said last week that you tell yourself out loud your past victories. You need to tell yourself out loud all the times that you did do good. Now, if you don't remember the ones, you're not going to be talking about the ones that you did bad, right? We don't talk about those anymore. They've done the walk of shame. We've turned our back on them. We don't mention those anymore. 
Because God don't remember them. And anybody tries to bring them up. Remember that time when you... What? No. Walk of shame. I don't know them. I don't know that situation. I don't know that failure. I don't know that mistake. I learned from it, but I don't know it anymore. And then you tell what your good stuff was. And I, I said this last week, everybody's got a good one. At least one. There's at least one time you know God showed up, right? Even people that ain't born again know one time that a higher power helped them out. And then the last thing that they did, and this is where a lot of people miss it. I've never even heard this talk. That it says and, right? So there's one more thing. You see that? And they loved not their lives. That's the word suke. It's not zoe. It's the word suke. They didn't love their mind, will, and emotion. And up to death. What it means is they didn't make their mind, will, and emotions their favorite. Because that's what agape is. Remember, Jesus went to Peter. Do you remember that in John 21? Where he said, Jesus came to Peter and he said, Peter, do you agape me? Am I your favorite? And Peter said, I phileo you. I'm fond of you, Jesus. You know I love you like a brother. And, God, and Jesus said, do you agape me? Am I your favorite? And Peter said, I phileo you. I'm fond of you. I like you like a brother. Man, you're the man. I give you the shirt off my back. And then Jesus said, oh, you're fond of me? And then it said Peter was sad because Jesus didn't say, you agape me? I'm not your favorite. Well, you told him twice that you weren't. So what you've got to do is make sure that your mind, will, and emotions are not your favorite thing, even if it's all the way up to the line of death, where you think you're going to die. Because your mind, will, and emotions, if they're in the driver's seat, you'll cut and run. If your mind and your will and your emotions are in the driver's seat, you cut and run. So you've got to decide going into this thing, even doing your first five things, because there will be a million voices in the world, right? None of them is without signification. While you're trying to figure out what you're passionate about, you'll be distracted. The phone will be ringing. PTA will be calling. Somebody, the people at the door will be ringing their bell, you know, asking, you know, give to Christmas seals. Anything that you could think of, there'll be a distraction to keep you from finding out what you're most passionate about. Don't get off that. Don't let somebody play on your emotions and pull you off track, even if it's all the way up to death. Don't let somebody, right, distract your mind, bright, shiny ball, until you stay with this. Till you overcome. Yeah, am, I, am I saying this right? Are you all getting this? You cannot let your mind, will, and emotions be in the driver's seat. If you do, you will not overcome. Because now you're playing kosuke. Do you know every human being has suke? What's the difference between somebody who's born again and somebody who's not? Zoe. The people who are not, they run their life on suke. Don't they? Think somebody's not in a covenant, they have no, Zoe's not available to them. So the best shot that they have, the thing that makes them human, is their soul. Right? If you operate like them, they didn't overcome Jack Diddley. You're not going to either. You've got to put your spirit, your Zoe, the life of God, in the front driver's seat. You've got to dominate your flesh, you've got to dominate your mind, will, and emotions, even if you think it's all the way up to death. Because guess what? If you're working in Zoe, you can't what? The only way you can die is if you lay down your life, just like Jesus said. If you say die, then die. If you say no, then it's no. Medical science knows that. They call it the will to live. It's the difference between somebody beating cancer and somebody not. Somebody beating a car accident in a coma and somebody not. Blood of the Lamb. Remember, your, your, your covenant is legally binding. There, there's no question. Word of your testimony. You speak out with the times that you won in the past and you forget all the other junk. Any failures, any mistakes that didn't ever happen. And you cannot let your mind, will, and emotions be in the driver's seat. Your spirit's got to dominate all that. And you'll win every time. I know this is a busy time of year, but take some time this week. Do yourself the favor. Yourself. Not anybody else. It's for you. Take some time and really find out what you're built to do. What are you passionate? It's not a hard question to answer. You, if, just think about what is it that makes you really happy? What are you drawn to? What's your favorite? And start there. Because that's what God built you to do. Your favorite. And you know what? If you're doing your favorite, it ain't really work. 
I, is it? No, it's like playtime. Can you imagine getting riches, honor, and life off of playtime? This isn't drudgery. It's what flips your happy switch. The thing that God built you to be the absolute best in the world to be. That nobody else can fill that spot but you. When you find out what that is, you're well on your way to making this stuff work in real life, real time for you. Not just something we talk about on Sunday. Because I'm really tired of that. I'm tired of just doing, hearing about it. I'm tired of hearing it and not seeing it. I'm, I'm just tired. Well, we've been doing that idiot drill for 1,700 years. We're just punching our ticket. Look, I don't need that guy. i got enough problems. I don't need more. And I'm not, I don't want this to just be like you know the carrot and the stick and just dangle in front of you and you never get it. And I don't want to tell you, just hold on and press on a little more. Because all we do is just keep queuing up and we're staying on that same broken record and that same cycle in life. We've got to break the cycle that we're in. We've got to stop what we're doing and do something different. Otherwise, we ain't getting it. Stand to your feet. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word sealed in our hearts. I thank You for giving us understanding, Father, practically that we could take this in real life, real time. It doesn't matter about inside church. I thank You for just being real with us. Father, I thank You for helping every individual here this week identify what You've built them to do, what You've wired them to do, what they're passionate about. And then, Father, I thank You in faith. I believe that You'll get to them the information, the ideas. You'll steer them in the path to where that thing blossoms and bears fruit so that they would walk into their inheritance. And I thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen.